Hello to everybody who's very clearly Canadian, but we're not just not mentioning it for a while, even though it's like so Canadian. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. I have to thank everybody who's been listening, who's been supporting the show. Whether you just got on board uh, an episode ago and you're new, or you've been listening since Ron Paul's baby, it means the world to me that everybody has uh, supported and listened and enjoyed and come out for the live shows. Like last week's episode was a live show from San Francisco. More live shows coming later in the year. ChrisGeth.com, by the way. I see you, North Carolina. People are starting to buy tickets in Asheville and Durham. Thank you for that. Uh, anyway... Last week, we talked with uh, our, our friend who was calling us and explaining what it's like to go to a clothing optional gay resort in Palm Springs. And I got a lot of feedback. Way more people in the Facebook group than I anticipated said that, that they would like to um, have a live Beautiful Anonymous at a clothing optional venue, which would be hilarious and strange. And if you guys are serious, uh, you know, I'll do it. I'm, I'm, uh, I've done weirder. I've done far weirder things in my career. I will say that I wanted to point out one specific comment that came in because somebody did say, I wonder, this does presuppose how many callers have been nude. Angela in the Facebook group said, loved this app. Kind of makes you wonder how many of the callers have been nude. This is an audio medium. We've done over 300 phone calls. I have no idea if any of the callers have ever been nude before. Food for thought. Who knows? What I do know is that this week's episode is very different than last week's episode, uh, tonally and content-wise, and shows you what a wide range we cover here at the show, because at the end of the day, we're covering human stories, and that's an endlessly wide range. This caller, first thing I want to say is there's talk of miscarriage in this uh, call. There's talk of infertility. Those are issues that affect people greatly. So I want to just give a heads up. Uh, if you're going through that or you have been through that in your life, I know that it can be extremely painful. So I didn't want to spring that on you. Um, that comes up as part of a caller's journey towards figuring out who they really are. Caller, um, you're going to hear dealt with some of the things I just mentioned. And it led to some discoveries about her true self, maybe true desires, you might say, impulses, becoming honest with oneself, and living a totally different life. This is someone who entered a marriage. The marriage hit some very, very tough times in terms of fertility. And then coming out of it, the caller said, I think I need to look, look at my real truth and think about who I really am and embrace that, which is wild. I'm trying, as you can see, to hedge my bets and not spoil too much in the uh, opening, but you can see that this one's heading to some, some places that you might not expect. And you know why? Because I don't think the caller ever expected it. Much love to the caller. Much love to you, the listener. Enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host, Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm. I'm. Uh, I would say pretty good, all things considered. I I was working in New York City yesterday, so I actually had to travel into the city from New Jersey. Spent a long day nice. there, and then did some stand up, and that was lovely. And then took the train home and got a lift from the train station, and my phone almost died. And I had that moment of like, oh no, what if my <laughs> phone dies before I can get a car? And then I came home and there was a bat in my house. So then I had to... Oh, well, that sounds pretty eventful. Yeah, it was <laughs> wild. It was So you're on the tail end. I'm still... So I was up all night. I had to call, had animal control in my house. Got home at like midnight and was like, man, left the house at 6 a.m. Getting home at midnight. Can't wait to collapse. That's a bat. And had to call animal control. <laughs> then you want to hear the worst part? Sure. They couldn't find it. <gasps> so now Did I you just, even sleep at all? I, I don't slept. think I would. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I was very, very tired. And the uh, the 
the animal control lady that came was just super reassuring and was like this. She said it was her fourth bat trapped in a house that night. She said it's happening. She's like, and she was just like, it probably just found its way out. However, went in, here's the names of some companies. You're going to call, have them come see if there's any holes and they'll check for nests and blah, blah, blah. But she's like, I know it's scary and I know there's rabies and I'm not saying to not be scared of that. And you have to be careful, but she's like, this happens all the time. And, Generally, these things just want to get out of your house. That's their only concern. Is there harmless creatures yeah, that want out? I can imagine. I don't think I would want to, like, if you're not supposed to be there, you don't want to be in there, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I'm doing. That's the honest answer. And how are, <laughs> how are you doing? I've been okay, ups and downs. Um, I struggle with depression, too. Uh, so I think it's, I mean, it's okay. Um it's a kind of, it's, it's a side effect of, uh, a bigger like hormonal issue that I have. So it's kind of oh, no. treat the symptoms type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I have PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it's, uh, typically found during fertility treatment. So when they're trying to figure out what's wrong and, and, uh, why you're not getting pregnant. Oh no. Okay, so P- yeah. PCLS was it? PCOS. So it's PCOS. polycystic ovarian syndrome. Polycystic ovarian syndrome. Wow. Syndrome. So basically my body produces more androgens, which are male hormones and female hormone hormones, and it affects your ovaries and you have a lot of follicles in your ovaries. And that's where your eggs kind of hang out. And when they mature, the follicles grow and then it bursts and that's how you ovulate. Well, when you have too many, they never really fully mature or burst. And it just causes a whole bunch of like hormonal imbalances. So, yeah. (laughs) So it can cause fertility problems, uh, weight gain around the belly, um, lovely um, hair growth on the chin or uh, upper lip and uh, depression and anxiety are side effects, uh, pretty terrible periods, <laughs> which I'm sure is <laughs> what you really want to discuss. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, just you have to be careful with ovarian, you know, cancers and different types of things like that. But diabetes too. So it's just, it's one of these fun, fun little syndromes that women get sometimes. Well, I'm really sorry. I'm very, very sorry that you're dealing with all of it. Uh, sounds a lot worse than Thank a bat you. in the house. So you've got me beat. You know what, though? It's just, it's something that you, it, it, it's worse in some ways and not in others. Like, it's not something that affects my life every single day, really. Just that you manage the side effects of it. But it is, it's affected my life in, in big ways. Um, mainly the fertility, I would say. I want to talk about that a lot because I want to, I know that you, um, you had mentioned that oftentimes this is something that's dealt with in terms of fertility issues. I just want to make sure it sounds to me like this is something that is uh, hormonal that can help lead to fertility issues. Or I just want to make sure, were you saying hormone treatments for fertility issues can lead to this. I want to make sure I have my facts straight. No. So basically the syndrome causes women to not ovulate. Mm-hmm. So if you're not ovulating, you can't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, before we even get into that, cause that's heavy and brutal and I know enough about it to know that it's fertility is, is one of the great stigmatized conversations left. It really is. But I do want to just... Uh, I 100%, I think, yeah. That's kind of why I wanted to talk about it because I feel like it's not talked about enough. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain shame and stigma attached to it sometimes too, so... I think so. I'm with you. Before we go there, I actually want to maybe call your bluff on something, if that's okay. okay. And feel free to be like, Chris, I I was kidding. Feel free to smack this down. But you said at one point, you said, you know, and you have really terrible periods and you said like, and I'm sure that's exactly what you want to hear about. But, (laughs) well, I'll say this. Talk about, talk about like a stigmatized conversation. 
we're trained, especially men are trained to go, ooh, I don't want to hear about it. Ooh, right? And that's like why you're making that joke. And that's why I'm chuckling at the joke. But I, I guess I would also just ask, just for the sake of trying to say, like, maybe I can take a deep breath and actually be mature. What exactly does that, what does that mean to hear that that process has gone terrible? If you're comfortable going there. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm a pretty open book, generally speaking. But so for me, that looks like when I was young and first started my period, it started really early. I was the first girl in my class to get it. Um, and I was getting it typically every two weeks or two weeks long, like two a oh, two week long period. And they were usually really heavy. So when I was in my 20s, I went on the pill to help regulate that. And um, since being off the pill and when I was trying to get pregnant and figuring out that I had PCOS and things like that, um, not being on the pill, um, it can make your periods Firstly, you can either just get it never for eight months, maybe. I've gone eight months without getting a period, or sometimes you get it and it lasts for a full month long. Or sometimes you get it and I've literally been hemorrhaging. So I, you know, I've been instructed by doctors at those times to just stay on your couch. And if it gets worse, you're going to have to go to the hospital Um, because it can get bad enough to have to have a blood transfusion. Now, I've not ever had to have one thankfully I've just kind of been able to chill on the couch for a day or two and it it'd be okay but it can be it can be pretty heavy and gross and and uncomfortable so when you have your period which is supposed to be a monthly occurrence that in its best days I get the sense I get the sense that when it goes smoothest it is still at best an inconvenience it's still a pain in the ass like you yeah I mean it depends. Sometimes it comes and it's like a normal period and it's, you know, four or five days and I'm good to go and everything is fine. But it is always a surprise. That's I, what I mean. never I mean, have an idea of when it's That's coming. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I get the sense from, you know, women in my life that even those four or five days, it shows up. It's four or five days. Even that is like, well, now you're... you you're carrying around your pads or your tampons or your diva cup. And you got to, even that is like, sounds like such a pain in the ass when it lasts an entire month and you're going, wait, (laughs) it's a pain in the ass. You're like, I'm not supposed to have four or five days off. It's supposed to be four or five days on that. That has to be maddening. It's infuriating. Yeah. It's, it's infuriating. It's very, it's frustrating and it's expensive too. That's the other thing, right? People don't talk about how expensive pads and tampons and things are. It's, it's expensive. You don't even think, so. well, I know the diva cup has now become a movement that a lot of people swear by. Yeah. I need to, I need to try that one. So, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't ventured down that road yet, but. It's it's on the list. I feel like I actually will go so far as to say, to my memory, in five years of doing the show, hundreds of episodes, I think this is the most frank talk we've had about uh, this. I I may be blanking, but I feel like our notoriously (laughs) female and female, um, you know, I think sort of like empowered female audience. I wonder if there's any caller that's ever fostered more empathy in the opening minutes than you saying you had, you have had periods that last an entire month. I wonder if there's ever been more beautiful anonymous fans, like, like pulling over to the side of the road, just going, no, no, I'm with you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's gotten bad. I have to say like (laughs) when I was married, the, the first time I ever hemorrhaged, I remember my ex-husband like being like, I don't know what to do. Where do I go? What do I get? He was running to the shoppers to grab every pad or he could find in the store. It was, uh, I have to say, you do, you, you appreciate those type of men in your life when, when you have them, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. And now <laughs> I can't help but notice you said when I was married. Yeah. While also so shouting out that I've, you appreciate this type of man. So there's a story there. And, and uh, my... I mean, my, he's still one of my best friends. So, wow. you know, well, I'll always... A, yeah. There's a story there, huh? And I have to imagine, does it tie into the fertility difficulties? It does. Yes, it does. Sad. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, that's okay. There were, there were a lot of things, though. I think even... 
outside of the fertility, the fertility really just puts a magnifying glass on some things and you, you learn maybe what's, you learn a little sooner what, what's missing or what's wrong or, or, you know, what you need to work on sometimes. And what were those things for you? I don't know. Well, I was closeted as bisexual for the entirety of my marriage. Um, so I feel like maybe coming to terms with who I really am, um, for sure. And there were some compatibility issues between him and I as well. Um, so I think those things would have reared their head um, regardless of if fertility came up or not. It just kind of... Mm. It kind of shouted out all those things to us, um, or at least to me, for sure. I think for him, it took him a little longer to come to terms with that. But I think we're both in better places and know each know like ourselves a lot better. I think the uh, yeah, we went through five years of fertility treatments, which was pretty intense and included. Uh, two rounds of in, in vitro fertilization, um, one of which I got pregnant with and then lost the baby. Yeah, so um, and that kind of, thank you. Um, and I remember I was very, very unhappy, generally speaking, as a human being. Um, just the fertility stuff really is a bit of a mind messes with your head. Um you know, and I made some poor choices as well in the marriage. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I was a saint. I, there was some cheating involved and, um, I was super unhappy and that was happening. And, um, when we lost the baby, we still had some embryos in a freezer and we were supposed to just start right back into treatments again and do a frozen embryo transfer. And I remembered one night thinking, well, if, these three don't work, then I'll get divorced. And that was kind of the minute where I was like, that's not fair to me, to him, to whatever child we bring up. If that happens, that's, that was the minute I decided to tell him how I was feeling. Wow. So it's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> it is. It is. And I definitely asked these questions out of order in a uh, chronological. We started at the end. Started at the end. <laughs> well, I mean, it's brutal. It's brutal. It's a brutal process to realize that it's going to be an uphill climb to have a baby. It's heartbreaking to come that close and to have it go away. It's physically. Yeah. Um, like physically rocking on top of all the emotional loss on top of it, even getting there. I mean, this you're, 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 you're injecting yourself every day that physically yeah. hurts. This is something that like nurses train to be able to do painlessly. And then we're, you know, it, it's, here's a bag of needles, go do it. So, yeah, that process was pretty brutal. <laughs> I'm afraid of needles. <laughs> awful. So it was not. It was not fun. Two rounds of that was not not awful. fun at all. The first round, I allowed my ex husband to do it because I, I hate needles. So I was like, "You just do it." And I remember being like, "He's not." For him, he tried his very best. wasn't very good at it. So the second round, I was like, "I'm just going to teach myself how to do this." Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it is pretty brutal. And like my doctor, some of the drugs you're on like affect your hormones so badly that my doctor once looked at me and said, like, you're going to want to murder your husband on these drugs. And I kind of laughed and he said, I, I'm not even joking. You have to be careful on these drugs. It's kind right. of like alarming when the doctor is saying things like that. So it's, yeah, it's quite the process. And I think, I think the hardest part of it is the, uh, probably get emotional when I say this, but like the idea of like the hope, the you build your hope up and you build your hope up every time. And then you're heartbroken every month, every time you get your period, every time the drugs don't work properly, every time you have to try something new. 
it's it can, it's pretty devastating to be honest. I bet. I I, I mean, and I, I and I bet. I bet having PCOS where, you know, your your period now becomes this monthly reminder of a lot of feelings that you yeah. haven't reconciled. And then you have it where it's completely unpredictable and sometimes more severe than others. That's, uh, I can see how that would totally change you. I can see how that would kind of rip you up and make you rebuild. Yeah, it uh, took me to a, a dark place for a little while. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. Like, I also grew up in a home that was pretty tumultuous. And so I don't really have a very good relationship with my own mother. So it's kind of, you know, Mother's Day rolls around every year. And it's like, oh, feel motherless, but also childless. And, it's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of emotions still attached to all of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's brought a lot too, though. I don't think, I don't know if I ever would have come out as by had this not all happened. I, and, you know, I live a completely different lifestyle now. I'm also polyamorous now. I'm not monogamous. Let's pause there. Cause it's really, I tell you, sometimes that, might be the whole episode, right? I'm polyamorous. We could talk about that for an hour, absolutely. But it's just like I was saying in the beginning, life happens, life breaks you down. And when you rebuild afterwards, you gotta decide, who am I gonna be? Who am I really? How do I keep standing? It's only by getting in touch with myself and this is a part of who I am. So many more discoveries along the way. We'll be right back. Thanks to all the advertisers who allow our show to exist. Let's get back to the show. think I don't know if I ever would have come out as by had this not all happened I and you know I live a completely different lifestyle now I'm also polyamorous now I'm not monogamous you learn a lot about yourself through these processes and there there are things that I don't think I would have maybe had the courage to learn about myself previous to all of this well that's really fascinating I mean there's you have a you have a really amazing ability to verbalize in a crystal clear way a lot of things that that I that need like need follow up questions, but where I go, wow, how do I dive in? And yet, you are able to present <laughs> it. Like, how do I ask you about this situation with your mom? We'll get to that, but first, let's deal with uh, what you just brought up. So, my first question about this: you came out as bi. You're living a poly lifestyle. These, I have to imagine, are, um, you know, you're expressing. These are things that feel like positives and that you would have never gotten to, and that's beautiful. Uh, horrible that there was so much tumultuousness and pain to get there. First question, you mentioned that there was some cheating throughout the process. Was this an exploration of of bisexuality as part of cheating or was it more just venting frustration or exploring poly was it an early stage of polyamorousness mm -hmm. how do you uh, view that i think part of it is that i i don't think i'm meant to be monogamous to be completely honest with you um so i think there was probably an element of that but i also think you know i was feeling was feeling like a failure, like I couldn't do the thing that I needed to do or that I wanted to do. And I was um, acting out, uh, being self-destructive uh, because that would have, I don't know, maybe easier for me to deal with if I don't know, I, not easier, but I just, I wasn't thinking, I didn't, I wasn't super, I wasn't really loving myself at the time and I was acting out. And I also think, you know, my ex, as much as I love him, we were not compatible sexually. Um, I have a very high drive and his is less so. And, you know, the fertility stuff exacerbated that a little bit, well, a lot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think I was looking for attention and love in the wrong places and doing it in unhealthy ways. So 
and when I left my marriage, I promised myself that I would never treat somebody like that ever again. And that I was going to try to live as transparently as possible because that's a pretty horrible thing to do to somebody. How do you maintain a friendship afterwards? Um, we've known each other since high school. Um, so we were together for 10 years, but we didn't really start dating until five years out of high school. So we had known each other for 15 years. And um, I think he knows every bit of me, the ugly side, the good side, the kind side, the intelligent side. But, you know, when someone really knows your, you know, the dark parts of you, they can sometimes understand where, where it came from. And we did therapy together. Um, he knew about the cheating and we did some therapy together about it. Um, we tried to fix our marriage and it just, it didn't work. And so, and he's just, it just kind of also talks to the way that he is. He's just an incredibly forgiving human being. And yeah. And he's happy now too. He's got a partner that he lives with. And so I guess, I don't know, <laughs> that's why we stay friends. We just, we just kind of decided we didn't want to hate each other. And we got out of the marriage before it got to that point. Cause we could have kept trying to have kids. We could have probably conceived at one point and, that would have just ended up pretty messy. Well, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to ask that, and it's a really hard question. It may be unfair, but do you think that it's like it's kind of like who cares? It's like all hypothetical, and who cares? But do you feel like if things had gone smoothly, that if you just you both had a couple drinks one night and had a bunch of fun in the bedroom, and then. 10 months later, a baby was born. Do you think you still would have felt the discontent or would you have embraced the size of yourself? You think so? Yeah, I think so. And him and I have actually talked about that because I did try to come out a few times to him. Oh, you uh, did? Yeah. And he's, he's, you know, he's not a bad guy, but he was, I think he felt our marriage wasn't great. Right. And I'm sitting there saying, I think I might be bi. And I, Remember him saying, like, did I marry a lesbian? <laughs> like, no, I still like men, clearly. <laughs> um, but I think I might be bi. And I think it just, he felt threatened by that because our marriage wasn't great. So he's not, a, he's not a bad guy, just didn't know how to handle that. And so it's a little dismissive. And he's, you know, he's since said to me, oh, it wasn't okay. I'm really sorry that I did that to you, which is it's nice to hear. Um, you goddamn Canadians just know how to be gentle with each other. <laughs> I don't know. I've been in therapy for a little while. I think it helps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can be brutal too. <laughs> I know. And I also know there's Americans like to romanticize Canada, but I know it has many, many dark sides <laughs> the way it treats First Nations people. I think I've mentioned them. Yeah. Sure. I once went on a vacation to the Dominican Republic and almost everyone staying where we were staying was from like the oil country part of Canada. Very different oh, yes. than the stereotype of the, the romanticized Canadian Americans yes, going like, oh, sure. we have these sort of like sophisticated, polite people who live just above us. And uh, also <laughs> so there's Canadian cowboys and they want to party hard. There's also that there's Canadians, For sure. There's Canadians who love Kid Rock so much. So much. <laughs> oh my God. I know. It's so true. So uh, it's so true. My sister's in that side of Canada. My sister's on that end of Canada. I'm over in like the Ontario side. I don't know if that's disclosing too much for yeah, now. Say what you want to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm a teacher too. So Canadians definitely have some, I don't know, with all the stuff that's coming out with the Indigenous. Uh, people are like that. Ugh, it breaks my little heart. But, but it's just very easy. It's very easy for progressive Americans to romanticize Canada because um, it's it's ultimately just us dealing with our imperfections by trying to somehow increase Canada's perfection. Blah blah blah. Who cares? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to knock Canada. I love it. It's a, good, it's a good country to live in, but we have our issues, right? So Everybody does. Everybody does. Yeah. So you're happier now so, overall, it sounds like. Overall, I'm happier. I've, uh, I mean, I go through births. Like, I've been in a little bit of a slump lately, and that, I think, has to do more with a breakup. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. 
And can I ask, you mentioned that you're polyamorous now. I am. I and am. How do you define that for yourself? What form does that take? Well, so for me, I practice solo poly. I'm single and I live alone. Um, basically, that means that my most important relationship is with myself. I make sure that I'm taking care of myself first. Um, and then my relationships kind of add add to my life. Um, so typically, it's hard to explain. Oftentimes in polyamory, like as a single person, you're, you're coming across people who are already coupled up. Um, so generally speaking, I've been dating a lot of people who are, you know, in marriages or I've been in a triad before. I don't know if, if it was a throuple, I guess, I guess you are could you say it was kind of with my first. You're a unicorn. Um, I'm not, I'm not a unicorn though. That's the thing. It just kind of happened. And it was like my first foray into, into polyamory really. I was just kind of dating and open to dating people who are in open relationships and, um, I met a woman who I really enjoyed spending time with and she mentioned that she was married and I ended up meeting her husband and then we all kind of dated, but we were all pretty new to polyamory. And that's, I like to explain that as like, that's like an expert level polyamory um, relationship. And as beginners going into that expert level, polyamory relationship, it was, it was too much. Um, so we're all still good friends. Um, but no, wait, talk to me about much, this. I love this. I love hearing this because I, it's one of those things that you go, this is such a lifestyle change. And it was for you. And for, for many, many people yeah. listening, it would be such a radical change in the life philosophy and approach. I love hearing when you go, that was an expert level situation and we were all beginners. Like, what does that, <laughs> does that mean? Like you're all, like, do you have moments where you're all just kind of like sitting around in somebody's apartment feeling like awkward or giggling? Like, it, no, it's not necessarily that, but it's like, if you think about the fact that like, it's four different relationships in one, I had a relationship with the wife. That's one, one relationship. I had a relationship with the husband. That's another relationship. The husband and wife have a relationship together. That's the third. And then the three of us had a relationship together. So it's a lot, it's a lot of, you know, scheduling and like, okay, I'm going to see the husband this day. I'm going to see the wife this day. And the three of us are going to hang out this day. Like it's, it's a lot. You are not the first call. <laughs> we have had callers who have been uh, poly or who have, you know, claimed to be swingers, however they identify. Very consistently, people have expressed that the actual biggest challenge is the logistics. You're not the first one to say this, that it's the scheduling that becomes it's, the big pain in the ass. Well, because people think it's like they hear polyamory and they're like, oh, sex. It's all about sex. It's, it's all you just like <laughs> in a big old hoe. We're gonna go, um, which can I guess that can be true, but it's often more about like the relationships that you're building, and you kind of, you know, I guess I kind of take a more like relationship anarchy model where you can kind of define your own rules for your own relationships. It's kind of nice. It is. You it make is. them up, but the logistics are, yeah. You got you got to make sure everyone's on the same page. There's a lot of talking, a lot of communication. You have to be able to communicate. And, and not only communicate, but you got to get really vulnerable sometimes, you know, like when you're in a, a triad situation or you're doing, you know, group stuff and you got to say like, oh, this made me feel really uncomfortable when this happened. Or you're talking about nitty gritty kind of weird things that you wouldn't normally talk about. Right. And you, and they were together before you arrived. So it, there's, I, I imagine, some sense of uh, attachment dynamics there, you might claim it, or yeah, even power or like, dynamics you know, there's at like times. Yeah, like kind of couple... Like, a, yeah, a couple privilege and, you know, I ended up getting a little bit burnt in that situation. Not, you know, we've all talked about it. It wasn't intentional, but it was, you know, <laughs> when, when it was done, it was done. Right. And that's great. So I was a learning tool for some people, but, you know, I don't want to necessarily be a stepping stone for yeah. other people's growth all the time, you know. And how many years ago did you get divorced? Five. It'll be five years ago now. Five. So there's yeah. some distance. So there's some distance. There's some distance for sure. But it's still, you know, it's still, it's a weird thing when you, you always have love for the person that you were married to. It doesn't, that doesn't go away. It's just different. And sometimes, you know, you get that nostalgia or you miss that person or you built a life together and there was that familiarity of the day to day and the, you miss, you miss that person when they're not there every day. Now you've said that you define your approach at this point that your main priority is 
you're in a relationship with yourself and then it's, it's, it sounds like you almost described it as like, um, like, and then what ingredients do you add to the recipe? That's the base. And that's the concern. I love that. Um, now while it might be quote unquote, non-traditional, you know, first of all, people think bisexuality, they think polyamorous and there's, first of all, two things right there. Those are two words that people immediately go, oh, so this is, like you said, you were joking. Like, oh, this is somebody who just wants to get out there a lot. This is somebody who doesn't want to commit. And I think that those are are kind of cliches and stereotypes that that have been proven um, unfair. Not in all cases, but across the board, it's unfair to paint entire groups of people who live lifestyles with with that brush. Do you think about if you're going to wind up whether it's in a couple or or a thruple or something that I don't uh, know about. Do you ever think about settling down? Yeah, I do. Like I, ideally, I would like to find what I would call a nesting partner, someone to live with, someone like a main partnership. Um, I couldn't be monogamous. Um, I could be monogamish where it's mostly monogamous with a little bit of, you know, spice here and there. <laughs> outside of you know our situation um i think maybe that's why this breakup is hitting me a little harder because i felt like i might have found that with somebody um and uh they cheated on me and left me to be monogamous with their ex so it's been a little bit of a hard pill to swallow lately um but yeah i would eventually i would eventually like that uh but i don't I don't need to rush that and I don't need to make something fit when it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Tough question. So. Sure. It's crossed your mind. Mm-hmm. Let's say you find yeah. that nesting partner as you phrase it. Mm-hmm. And let's say that it turns into a thing where you go, yep, this is locked in for life. And however we define our yeah. monogamishness, we're happy and we're comfortable. And this feels like a thing that's going to last. Let's say that person wants to have kids. Is that something you'd still be open to? Because especially identifying as bisexual, there's potential you have a nesting partner who, who, who could, but that's going to bring up a lot of, that's going to churn up a lot of stuff for you. Yeah. So I think leaving my ex-husband meant I had to be okay with the idea of never having children again. Um, cause realistically I'm my late thirties and, uh, it was, that was really hard to go through. And it took me to a place mentally that was really not good. So I'm not closed off to the idea of that in any way, but it would ha- I would have to be really sure I was ready mentally to open that door again because it's really hard. It's really hard to go through that again. But I've thought about it. I'd be open to it with the right person if I was mentally prepared for it. And I'm prying, so tell me when to back off. When you think about this, and as you say, very hard thing to think about. I don't know, like, do you envision your nesting partner down the line being a... And these might be totally ignorant questions, who knows, but I'm like, is your gut instinct that you might settle down with a guy or a girl or... Do you, do you not do you not think that I'm way? I'm open like, to either, to be honest. I'm open to either, either yeah. guy, girl, non-binary, whatever, whatever. I'm open to to anything really. Um, I think I'm. I spent you know 34 years of my life just envisioning men because that was kind of the default, and you kind of mm-hmm. you deny the other side of it. So I think I'm most comfortable around men in dating senses. Um, but I can definitely see myself with settling down with someone who's female for sure or non-binary or whatever it is. I wonder which one is more, I'll just be blunt, which is more fucked up in your head. The idea of finding that primary partner who's a man who says, but part of it is I really want to try to have kids. Would you be willing to try again? Or is it more stressful to think, I might wind up with a partner who's female who says, I'd like to have a kid. Will you be my partner in the process? Either one of those is going to 
is going to have, they're like companion issues, but both are going to be, both are going to mess your head up in, in different ways. Right. You think about it or no, I feel like I might be a jerk right now. Like, because if it's a, I think it might be easier with another woman because I have the fertility issues. It's going to be very difficult for me to get pregnant. Um, and it's really painful. (laughs) IVF is really painful. Um, so with a man, it would bring up all the fertility stuff, right? Like it would bring up like, okay, here we go. We're going to do this and this and this again and going it back into that clinic where, you know, they told me that I lost my child or, you know, where we had to essentially unplug three different embryos and kind of dispose of, of them. You know, that sounds so crass, but <laughs> there's no other real way to describe it. So like that would bring up all those things with a man. Um, with a woman, I think what it would bring up is maybe the idea of like, because I would assume maybe she would try to get pregnant. So it just might bring up like the idea of feeling left out of that process a little bit because I so badly wanted to be pregnant for so long. And then the idea of, you know, worrying about losing it and yeah, I think both would trigger me for different reasons. Yeah. Because that miscarriage was really hard. And that would also scare me. I don't feel like I almost didn't survive that. And let's pause there because I know for a fact there are so many people listening who either personally went through that, who have been the partners of people who have gone through those exact feelings, thrown their hands up, wondering if they could survive this. It's brutal. My heart goes out to everybody who uh, identified with that one. Let's take a breather. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody, that's it. No more breaks. We're going to finish off the phone call. For different reasons. Yeah. Because that miscarriage was really hard. And that would also scare me. I don't feel like I almost didn't survive that. And I'm not sure I could go through that again. And then on top of on top of all of this, I mean, just like a a head spinning series of real life moments. And then on top of all of that, your mom really fucked you up too, right? I said I'd get back to that at some point. Sorry to laugh <laughs> in the face of the saddest she moment sure of the did. episode. The sad we hit the emotional peak, and I said I could find my way. Now now this conversation about the mom's going to feel easy after that, like, uh, maybe poetic, poetic expression of real life sadness. You just said now it'll be a walk in the park. Um, no, everything you're saying, you know what it is that I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've been thinking about this a lot because I live a life where I talk to people and I talk on stage. And so I think so much, I, I realize. And it's actually, as I say it out loud, I kind of feel like this sort of reflects itself in your story in a way that's sort of like both beautiful and really sad, which is that all the all the worst parts of life, from what I can tell, it's like loneliness is the sidekick. Like when you're at your saddest, you're most depressed, it's an incredibly lonely feeling. When you're at your angriest, it's it can also feel so lonely to be just truly in a rage. You feel like no one has your back. You feel like no one else sees it the way you do. It feels lonely. And you can go on the list of like all the things in life that we would term as like negative are just are, are just fused with this loneliness. And then I have to imagine. And hasn't, hasn't the pandemic exacerbated that for oh, everybody, right? For all of us, right? But that's one of the things about fertility issues that I think is so profound and so heartbreaking, which is that, like you said, you had a partner who you're like, you got to admire a guy who's going to run to the store and get every type of pad when he first encounters, <laughs> you know, your, your, your PCOS. And you said you're, you were good friends your whole life and you're still good friends. But then there's also no way around the fact that when it's your body being injected by the hormones... And you're scared of shots. Mm-hmm. And when it's when it's your body that has, you know, too many follicles, too few follicles, let's adjust it with the hormones. They're gonna make you wanna kill somebody. 
And then you laugh and the doctor goes, no, seriously, you got to be really careful on these. You might want to kill your husband. And then after all that physical pain, after all those injections that send your brain spinning in all these directions where you feel out of control, then you lose the baby. And it's like, yeah, you have a partner. But at the end of the day, there is no way for you to not feel just a profound, profound sense of loneliness in the, in the face yeah. of all that. It's just impossible. It's just impossible. I, yeah, it was like we had just told people. Like I'm, I had just told a friend the night before, and then you have to go and say, ah, "Just kidding." And nobody knows how to behave. No one knows what to say or what to do. And do you send flowers or do you, you know, drop off a gift or do you call or do you leave them alone? And I just, I think most people err on the side of caution and don't do anything. And if anybody's listening who has somebody who's gone through a miscarriage in their life, like, or knows somebody who is going through it, it's so important to reach out during that time. And like, I think people often want to send flowers or something, but I, I, this is maybe an unconventional thing to say. What would have really been helpful is like, you know, hire a cleaner for a week or send pre-made meals or something because you're just, you're not in your right mind. You can't move off the couch. You can't possibly think of doing anything but feeling your emotions and not or numbing yourself out right it's just it's I've never felt more sad in my life as when I was going through that can't imagine and then you know when you talk about it like that and then on top of you going you know and fundamentally like fundamentally our marriage I did have a higher sex drive historically and it started to make sense when you, when you, when you hear that of just, I couldn't get off the couch. Don't send flowers, send help. When your friends and the people in your life go through this, you go, okay, well, you know, there's no, you know, you don't strike me as someone who's proud that, cheating happened you you have not presented it as that way you have you've been forthright no. but i don't think you've been giving off this sense that you feel great about it but you go okay yeah if that's gonna happen i can imagine that in the wake of in the wake of what sounds like a few years of just heartbreak and loneliness where it sounds like part of you know you don't say hey don't send flowers send help if you felt like you got the help you needed so seems to me like if you're gonna sort of torch your life and make some choices that go screw it some things need to change I need connection I need to start getting honest I it's not shocking it's not shocking to hear like okay let's uh let's make some choices that burn some things down so that we really have to talk and then let's rebuild in a way that feels more positive than this it's not a shock it's very sad but it's not a shock yeah yeah it's not it's not a shock I've I mean being in therapy now I can look at it and see what I was doing I uh I mean we can go back to the mother thing I grew up in a home where um it was it was it was fairly abusive and uh my mom is an addict and you know, struggles with her own diseases, but it also, you know, made for a pretty abusive home. And so I think when you grow up in a home where you are not told you're loved and not only that, but actively shown that you are unlovable, uh, you bring that with you into your future relationships. And so, you know, I remember when I told my ex about the cheating and, and I I remember breaking down and just saying like, I don't understand why you love me. And I, I remember him looking at me and just, I, I remember the look of heartbreak on his face and, and, you know, you asked how he could forgive me. And I think that's part of it. 
I think that's part of it. So you're, you know, you're actively trying to find love in very messy ways. Uh, but therapy has helped with that, you know, making better and healthier choices and recognizing when you're doing that out of loneliness and knowing your value and your worth. And yeah. I feel, I feel really bad. I feel like I keep leading us down conversations that just lead to these like uh, very vivid images of true sadness and sorrow. That's my bad on that. I think uh, it's, it's hard. I've been through some pretty messy things in my lifetime. So it's hard yeah. to sometimes not go back to that. But I mean, realistically, they're, they've made me who I am. I'm pretty, I'm a pretty tough cookie. So I'm, I'm, and I'm pretty insightful and I think kind as a result, to be honest, because you don't want anyone else to feel that way ever. Yeah. Yeah. I identify with that. I identify with that. I feel like I've turned some corners, but you know, from the perspective of being an adult, I go, Oh man, I've won most of my life choices in uh, like leading me into being a creative person is like, okay, if I'm never going to figure out how to be happy, well, at least I can try to make other people happy. Maybe I can make some comedy, make other people happy. And then I realized, (laughs) Oh, that's like, you're like, you're chasing. That's that game is rigged. That game is rigged. You know? You got to straighten your own head out. I'm but glad you to- do that for people. You oh, do I- that for people though. Like it's I- how I, you know, that's what attracted me to this podcast. Just like you're, you know, like I know you've had your struggles based on things that you've put out and, and the podcast and things like that. And, you know, it's, it draws people in for these sure. candid, I- frank conversations. Well, look, and there, I think there's a lot of us like the, it, it remains, it remains a project where people, some people will tell me, they'll ask me like, oh, what are you working on these days? I'm like, oh, mostly still just beautiful anonymous people. Like that's still going like friends in my life. And I'm like, it remains this kind of hidden thing, but with this like massive quiet families. And I think so many of the people listening each week are kind of, you know, I, I don't feel like there's, it's, it's a weird thing where I would go. I don't know that I'm like anyone else in the world. I think you probably sit there and go, I don't know if I can point to another person in the world and go, yeah, that person's like me. (laughs) And then I feel like this podcast is the catch all for a lot of people who go, we walked very, we all walked different roads to this same place of like, it turns out there's just kind of a lot of like lonely wandering people who are just trying to be kind because that's an act of love. Not to be too cheesy. Yeah. Just go, if I can get my shit together enough to spread some kindness around, and I, if I can be quote unquote fucked up in whatever way I am, and I can get comfortable (laughs) with that, and I can get to a place where that's safe and stable, and then I can try to make other people feel a little more respected and safe and stable then maybe the world won't be so hard for the other wandering people out there. And for a lot of us, me and you included, starts when you're young where you just go, okay, I have this sneaking suspicion that I'm a complete outlier um, to the, and, and, and adults are not, you know, in your case, actively letting you down, putting you in unhealthy situations. In my, in my case, actually too, it wasn't my parents, but I go, oh, the entire infrastructure, school and teachers and all this stuff and, violence you go there's just so many of us out here so many of us out yeah. here where it goes well, i guess at the end of the day i'm just really lonely and maybe what i can just try to work on. and my point being because i'm not trying to make it about me what i'm trying to say is that i really really identify with you going after a lifetime of this shit i get into therapy and i go okay and and how do i just how do i just put my cards on the table accept who i am and get to work trying to be kind. Let's start there. Can we make that the base level? And it's not, and it comes through therapy. Yeah, but you got to start with being kind to yourself. Yeah, and that's the big one, right? And that's why it all goes back to that when you said, that's why I can see it so clearly in your mind when you're looking at your husband, a person who took vows, a person who's known you your whole life, a person who probably puts you on every pedestal that you deserve, and then you say, I don't understand why you love me. And he has to realize, oh, it sounds like that's part of how you yeah. probably remain friends, right? Is he understands he can love you as much as you deserve. But if if that's where you're at, 
then that game is rigged at the end yeah. of the day. And it's not his fault. And it's not your fault. No. Probably your mom's fault, it sounds like, if it's anybody's fault. Uh, I mean, probably. <laughs> We're going to point fingers. She's at the very least the one who set up like- the game board on the rig game. She, is, she, she was at the very least the one that's like, you want to play Monopoly or Mousetrap today? Like, she picked the game at the very least. Uh, but Yeah. Hundred percent makes a little 100%. more sense. But I also think you know, forgive, right? I yeah, I think so. And it, you know, and he knows he knows her, and he knows the family dynamics, so it, that helps too. Um, but going back to the loneliness thing, I think in sharing too, it helps make it a little less lonely, right? Yeah. Like in sharing and in hearing these stories from other people, everyone's walking around in their own lonely little bubble, but you feel a little less lonely because you can recognize yourself in parts of people too. And especially on this topic. And this one, I have to tell you one thing I'm very impressed by with you is when you hear a lot of, a lot of situations, somebody might go, oh, what was that call about? Ultimately fertility issues. And people think they know that story. People think they know the act structure of it. It's like, no, actually you don't. Actually you don't. It comes, you know, there's this rare condition I have that, helped lead to it but then it churned up all this stuff and then mistakes were made along the way but they ultimately led to life realizations like it's not a simple story it's a very messy story and um yeah and i I think that that's a lot of people are going through a lot of people are going through their version of it i bet there are a lot of marriages that end because of fertility issues i bet there are a lot of marriages that survive but that are remarkably different. I bet there are a lot of marriages where people manage to get to the other side of the fertility issues with the happy ending of having a child and still realize, oh, this fundamentally restructured everything. Like we're not the same humans and this is not the same marriage as it was before that. There's a million versions of this story. And, and yours is a, a particularly profound one. And it's, I, I know you say you've been really down lately, but I, I, I bet there's a lot of people who are going to hear this who are going to go, I am going through the same thing and it's breaking me. And it's good to hear that that's not a reflection of me or my sanity or my strength. That's the other thing, right? I always get this sense, you know, knowing as many people as I have who have gone through fertility issues where you realize, and who knows why, who knows where it comes from evolutionarily, let alone through like a patriarchal society, which I'm not trying to be woke. It's just the truth. You go, oh, at the very least, this, when you, when you go through this, when you're told you can't have a baby, when you lose a baby, women are forced to now consider their self-worth through a lens that, that this was ultimately a goal, if not the goal in a lot of cases. And no matter how well it makes you sorry no go for it say it because you see where i'm going so finish the thought i was it just it makes you question a lot of things because you grow up as a girl you were told your whole life you know get married and have babies get married and have babies and then everyone around you is getting married and having babies and then you're like, all right, I'm going to get married and have babies. And, and, you know, realistically speaking, like if I look back, I, I probably knew before I married my husband that I, we probably shouldn't have gotten married, but that drive to get married and have babies is so big. Right. And that's what you're told your worth as a human, as a woman is. You know, like now that I don't have children and I live single, like the amount of times I get asked, why don't you have kids? Don't you want to, don't you want to be a mom? Any people who don't know my story or people who do know my story who say, well, you know, you still could have kids. You could adopt if you really want to adopt. Have you looked into this? Have you looked into that? And it's almost like, well, can I not also be valuable as a woman without that? It, it, it's, it's, the pressure is huge. It's huge on women. If you look at um, when you go to baby shower or not baby showers, wedding showers, bridal showers, you know, like, or you're at a wedding, how many wedding speeches talk about their future babies? Like Mm -hmm. almost everyone. 
it's an incredible amount of pressure to put on couple. Absolutely. It also makes me wonder, and I am out of my depth here, maybe about to say something ignorant, but as I think more and more about people identifying as non-binary, yeah, I wonder how often, you know, there are some people who I think feel like biologically I was I was born with a certain body that I don't feel like I've ever fit in. Hear that story. I have to wonder too, though, how many people are starting to identify um, outside of the, you know, outside of the assignments that we knew when I was a kid, purely because they're like, I, I don't want the fucking expectations on me. I don't want that. I don't want exactly what you're saying. If I don't have babies, that means I'm not a woman. Well, then maybe I should just opt out of being a woman because that sounds like a lot of fucking pressure and stress and heartbreak and sorrow. So maybe I wonder, I wonder how many people are out there where they're exploring how they choose to label themselves through the lens of not even necessarily biological realizations, which I think there are so many, but also just societal, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want this to be the conversation I'm a part of outside of that. And I know I probably just said 95 offensive things, but hopefully in the <laughs> the goal of getting to one or two things that go, oh, you sound like a 41 year old white guy who's actually maybe trying to get it. But again, apologies for the, the dozen or so idiotic things I said along the way, but there's gotta be some truth there. Yeah. I don't, I can't, yeah, I don't know. I can't speak to the non-binary aspect of it, but I mean, I, I mean, those pressures are big. They're big. You know, like how we put a lot of pressure on women to be like the the motherly type. Even look at the look at the jobs that women go into predominantly, yeah. or, or what they're discouraged from going into. It's you know, and I'm in, I'm a I'm an elementary school teacher. I teach really young kids, so it's it's all women in that line of work. And if you you know, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of pressure. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. We're meant to be maternal. And, you know, I have friends who I know I'm like not a maternal bone in their body and that's fine. But, you know, they get questioned on that all the time too. So it's, it's interesting. It really is. And you know what? Our hour is up. And I think you and I could talk for two or three more hours. Um, <laughs> Probably. And, and I feel like- wonderful. I finally got through. I've been trying for a while. Nice. I'm really glad you did. I, it's one of those ones where I sit here going, first of all, where I want to reiterate, I'm sitting here going, man, it just, you had such a, it's, we didn't even get it. all the stuff with your mom sounds horrible. And then it sounds like <laughs> even in the marriage, just such a hard stretch of life right there. And so much figuring out. I feel like we only got to the tip of the iceberg, but again and again, what I realized with this show is I'm sitting here going, man, my story and your story are not the same story by a long shot, but I definitely feel a kindred spirit in that that feeling of just like, man, life keeps asking me to figure out how I fit into it, and it is tiresome. And I want you to know that I hear you on that, and I'm sorry you've been down lately. I'm sorry that uh, I'm so we didn't even get the the hot gossip on a, you know, somebody went monogamous <laughs> with their ex. So what's this mean? Are you just some, some fling, some experiment? No, you're a human being. God damn it. We didn't even get to that. I'm sure all oh, that great. stuff's sitting there. You don't exist. You don't exist here trying to figure yourself out, take big chances in your life, living outside the norm so that somebody else can uh, have a summer holiday where they dabble. No, we got all this stuff to think Amen about. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> So there's like Agreed. a million things. There's like a million <laughs> things you brought up. We could talk about another hour, but I do just want you to, just to, <laughs> from the perspective of a cheesy guy who's living in New Jersey with his uh, his wife and his son, I want you to know that you made me feel a little less alone today, and that's remarkable because our stories are drastically different. Well, thank you. You made me feel a little less alone today too. Well, that's the goal. All the way up here in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Also, just so everybody knows. Um, you said the word sorry, and that's when I jumped on it. But I knew well before that that you were Canadian. There was another word you kept I do saying. say sorry a lot. Well, no, there was another word you were saying where I go, oh, process. You kept saying process. I was like, we gotta process. Yeah, talking to a Canuck. Talking to a Canuck.
Sure are. That's not offensive. <laughs> it's Canuck offensive? Did I just end saying something offensive? No, I don't think that's offensive. Okay, it's not good. offensive to me. Good. At I least. feel like we, with the amount of worrying and apologizing I do, I have to be an honorary Canadian at this point. Honorary. I'll, I'll grant it. Thank you. You so can much. be an honorary Canadian. Thank you so You're much. You're most welcome. And thank you for talking. <laughs> well, thank you. Caller, thanks so much. Like I said, you made me feel a little less alone. I'm glad we got to connect. And uh, I'm really, I will think about you for a very long time. Think about you for a very long time. Hope when you take care of yourself and you figure out what the nesting situation of your dreams is and that, and that you get there. Thanks for calling. Thank you to Anita Flores for producing the show. Thanks to Jared O'Connell and Marcus Hom for engineering the show. Thank you to Shell Shag for the theme music. If you want to know about me, especially my tour dates, chrisgeth.com. And hey, wherever you're listening, there's a button to subscribe or favorite, follow, some version of that. You can figure it out. When you click that button, I cannot tell you how much it helps us, so please do. Find our latest merch at podswag.com. We've got mugs, shirts, posters, and more. You can find ad-free episodes of Beautiful Anonymous, WTF with Mark Marin. Tons of shows over at Stitcher Premium. Use promo code STORIES for a one-month free trial at stitcher.com slash premium. 